feelings of shame, guilt, judgment. So, I mean, I'm aware of it and I do it. So I know other people do it. And I've talked to friends. I've talked to everybody I talk to mm-hmm. has the same sorts of things. Welcome to Confessions of a Financial Advisor, the antidote to conventional financial wisdom. My name is Al, and I've been a financial advisor for over 20 years. This podcast will explore the emotional and psychological factors that affect our behaviors. All of the other financial podcasts out there will talk about the numbers and the math. We will confront the stories that we all fuse with that ultimately set the course for our lives. I am not looking for new clients and have no intention on running for any kind of office. I'm going to tell you like it is and call out all the commonplace BS. Now, let's get into confessions of a financial advisor. I've been thinking about this whole podcast for a long time, and I think I I jumped at the idea of doing confessions of a financial advisor before I really knew the exact content that I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to explain to the audience this, the origins of Confessions of a Financial Advisor. Over time, it just didn't seem like the subject matter fit that title. Mm. To jump right into it, Confessions of a Financial Advisor came from when I worked at a large bank. I was bored out of my mind. I hated it. I had management that were like just a bunch of assholes. <laughs> I couldn't stand working there. I really couldn't. It was a good job yeah. in the sense that it allowed me to make a good living and build a clientele. So I shouldn't complain about that. But I just, I really just didn't like being there. Yeah. So me and a coworker who had the same mentality as me, we would have coffee every single day. And we just talk about escaping, you know, like we're going to get out of here. We're going to go independent. We're going to bring all our clients with us. We're going to make even more money than we do here. Blah, 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 blah. This place is ridiculous. I don't need this management bullshit. Yeah. I'm sick of drinking the corporate Kool-Aid, all of that. And of course, we just sat there and just had coffee for two years and never did a damn thing. Like, just <laughs> talked about it, convinced each other. Oh, yeah, it's going to be great. Oh, you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. Oh, oh absolutely. We're going to do even better than we're doing here if we just never left, never even did it. Well, the thing that we were conflicted with working there was as a financial advisor, this is what the whole thing of confessions of a financial advisor comes down to what I'm going to say right now. Okay. We were conflicted with the idea that a financial advisor wasn't valuable. Mm. In our minds, we were like, in two weeks, I could train a recess monkey to learn my job and to do what I do every day. Really? So what we talked to each other about is that it's arguable that if I took your portfolio, Virginia, and I took it two mutual funds, just two, two mutual funds, say two Vanguard funds, two Fidelity funds, whatever company you decide. Get a large cap domestic, get a large cap international, do whatever mix, 60-40, whatever mix you want to do. Yeah. Keep that for the rest of your life. The rest of your investing life, it's arguable that you'll do better than me in my managed portfolio that I'm advising, that I'm making tweaks on. Yeah, the whole managed portfolio versus set it and forget it. Set it and forget it. Yeah. Right. And so we would struggle with that because like, we really believe that there's no way of knowing. Mm. It's not even like it's swayed in one way or another. It's very close. Yeah. So I'm like, then where's the value? And so we try to convince ourselves of where is our value. Ah. So we get into the topics of 
well, you know what? Without me, the client would sell out of the portfolio with a knee-jerk reaction when the market's tanked. So the reason they're paying me these fees is because I'm keeping them in the market. I'm talking them through it. Yeah. I'm more of a like a, a therapist. Right. <laughs> You're the guy who picks up the phone when people are in a panic. Yeah. But for whatever reason, clients and just the general population thinks that financial advisors are like these gurus at investing. Right. We're not. We're just putting you into something that you could easily put yourself into right? with just a very minimal amount of research. But it was a struggle because you it's a smoke and mirrors kind of thing. Yeah. I guess it's kind of like the idea of like when you do your taxes on your own mm-hmm. and you actually figure out that you're just like putting shit in boxes. Yes. <laughs> it's not this big mystery. Right. And now you're not paying 900 bucks to an accountant because you know how to do it. <laughs> yes. But like when you don't know how to do it, it's like, I don't want to do any of this stuff. It's so difficult. It's complex. I'm so scared. I'm going to mess it up. Yeah, it's too hard. You know, they have a CPA. They have, you know, they have all these credentials. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, so financial advisors play into the smoke and mirrors. They make it seem very complicated. Mm -hmm. They say, oh, we're going to help you with estate planning. Okay. We're going to help you with uh, tax loss harvesting and capital gains, blah, 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 blah. And use all these terms that really don't mean shit. And that normal people don't know what all that means. So they're like, ooh, yes, this guy's valuable. He's going to help me. <laughs> yeah. So w- when I was thinking of this whole concept of confessions of a financial advisor, it was coming from like a fear and anger standpoint. Hmm. I was fearful of not doing what I was doing and not being able to make the living I was making. And just an anger towards like the whole system itself. Hmm. Because this is the other thing with the financial advisory industry People don't understand this either. It's an asset accumulation industry. It's not a financial advising industry. There you go. I know some of the biggest financial advisors, people I've worked with over the years, that, I mean, manage upwards of a billion dollars, which means they're making well over, you know, a million dollars personal income themselves, if not way more. Wow. And what they do is they have three portfolios, three total that they don't even put together. Somebody else put it together. And so what they do is they find clients. They say, all right, let's sit down. Let's find out what your risk tolerance is. Let's find out what your goals are. But everybody's goal is to save as much money as possible and to have as much money as they possibly can. And you try to moderate the risk based on their comfortability. That's clearly the extent of what a financial advisor is trying to find out. Right. I mean, there's more. There's a little bit more to this. I am oversimplifying, but... Right. Generally speaking, that's... And then from there, they put those people into one of those three portfolios. Is that where you're going? One of three. That's it. Wow. So are you conservative? Are you moderate? Are you aggressive? There's your three. That's all you got to choose from. Wow. We got nothing else. They only want to use three portfolios. And again, they're not managing, meaning they're not buying and selling stocks. They're not doing anything. They're basically moving your money from another institution over to theirs And then plop, Mm -hmm. they put your money into this one fund or another fund, and then they get paid ongoing on that funds for as long as you keep the money there. Yeah. And for the most part, they're not going to change anything. They'll talk to you once, twice a year, but they're collecting fees. Again, I'm not saying they're not valuable because if all they do in the 20, 30, 40 years that they're managing your money is prevent you from selling, say twice in that time, or even once, like one at the worst time. It was worth all the fees that they collected. Exactly. I remember you making that statement before on the show one time. But that's a hard thing as an advisor to like, so that's my value here. My value is to prevent you 
from selling in the horrible times. Like, I don't want to be that person. I thought I was managing accounts and like doing creative stuff with investments and figuring out where the markets are going and finding the best stocks and the best trends and the best sectors. It's none of that shit. All that is complete bullshit. It is an asset gathering business. Hmm. The more assets you can gather, the more money you make. Meaning finding more clients, finding high dollar clients, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of the pursuit of the next client constantly. Yes. They're not managing money. They're just Mm. bringing money in and just dumping it into buckets that are already pre-designed that they never created. The institutions they work for have already created this. Mm -hmm. They're just different platforms. Mm -hmm. Just throw it into the conservative, throw it into the moderate or throw it into the aggressive. Yeah. Which one do you want? So that's where you were feeling like, okay, I want to debunk some of these myths and I want to maybe not like expose anything, but just yeah, normalize like what an advisor really does and what the value really is there. Yes, I did. And it was bothering me to know, like it was really something that I was struggling with internally. Like I was struggling with the idea that I have my licenses. I've been doing this for a long time. And then coming to the realization that I'm an asset gatherer, mm. that all my job is, is to like find new people to bring their money to me. And that's my, literally that's 95% of my job. Yeah. Because all the administrative stuff went off to my assistant. So I didn't do any of that. Yeah. Picking the portfolios, just like I just said, you've done once up front, you rarely change it. It takes no time to pick a portfolio. Mm. And again, it'd be arguable for a layperson like anyone to pick two Vanguard funds and put them against any portfolio that I would pick as an advisor. And the indexes or whatever funds they pick could easily do better over time than mine. Right. There's no way of knowing if I'm going to beat the markets. Yeah. And actually, there's a lot of data saying that we'll probably underperform the markets. Mm. So what if there's an advisor buddy or somebody that's listening that thought that their advisor was super valuable <laughs> and, you know, like they're heartbroken listening right now. Oh, so God. what are you? I have advisor friends that I have this conversation with. Okay. And of course they're defending themselves. Yeah, I can and... see people getting real defensive real quick. <laughs> oh yeah. Defend the industry again, because like what the, normally the conversation goes towards, well, you don't understand. I do other planning. I'm a financial planner. I do, a lot of them say the word, estate planning is the big catch term, right? Mm-hmm. But guess what? You don't need an estate plan unless you have over $10 million in assets. Mm-hmm. That's not the majority of people that you're dealing with as a financial advisor, unless you're like really high ends. So estate planning for me is out of the question. I don't have $10 million clients. And then it, they'll talk more about, well, you know, we have this whole thing when we take all their information and we make sure everything suits. They're just constantly just drinking the Kool-Aid. It's the Kool-Aid of the industry. Right. So if you ever listen to the financial independence community, they debunked this stuff a long time ago. And they say, well, you can go into index funds. You can go into this. Why pay a fee to an advisor? Right. The internal struggle that I had, it's not right or wrong. It's just what I was struggling with. But the real question is, is a financial advisor valuable enough to pay fees to right. if they're going to prevent you from making stupid mistakes. That's all they're really doing. They're not providing you with advice that you can't find on your own. They're just preventing you from making stupid mistakes. Yes. Hopefully. I think that's along the same lines of thought as to why you would hire a coach, like a fitness coach, somebody for accountability with like a diet plan or any of those things where you're 
Yeah. Needing someone to guide you, check in with you each week or right. coach you twice a year, whatever it is to make sure that you stick to what you said your goals were. Right. So that in this case, you don't pull out when the market crashes and you're scared. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the same lines of thoughts why you'd hire anybody for any level of accountability. Yeah. I guess if you're like an online coach that has like a large clientele that's online and you can sort of leverage where you're getting paid from multiple people, whether or not they're using the service or not, that's kind of where the advisory practice, hmm. because the scale of their practice doesn't make their practice more complicated. So if you're managing 100 million or you're managing 30 million or mm -hmm. it's not changing your practice, all you're doing is you're plunking the money into portfolios that are paying you a residual fee. And your yeah. work is, it's not over, but it's kind of pretty much, I mean, you know, maybe the client needs to get distribution. Maybe the client needs to start taking withdrawals at some point. Maybe there's an emergency. More of it is about really withdrawing from the account. What else are they doing? They're going to leave the money in the accounts. And you as the advisor are never going to advise them to change the portfolio mm -hmm. unless, again, all of a sudden became more conservative. Okay, right. so you want to go to the moderates or the conservative? I'll just move the money here. Done. All right, now it's there. Yeah. It took me like three clicks of a button to do that. It's just so I, I wanted to kind of pull in the curtain back. Yes. I did a little bit because I felt like the whole industry was drinking the Kool-Aid. The public was thinking the industry was a different way. And I had this internal conflict about it of is my service valuable? Uh -huh. And I'm tired of being in this corporate environment where I'm around people that all think what they're doing is so important hmm. when I'm just kind of like, no, it's kind of bullshit. And it's sort of like anybody can do it. I can teach someone to do this very quickly and I wouldn't have to charge them fees on going to do it. Yeah. But again, not to keep repeating myself, the mm -hmm. flip side of it is if I prevent them from doing something like those one or two times that you make those bad knee-jerk reactions can destroy you, like literally destroy you financially. Yeah. And you've seen it all. Like you've seen the people that you've been able to talk on the phone to and calm them down and they stay in and they're fine. Yes. And then you've seen the people that you did your best to calm them down and they didn't listen and they took their stuff out and they're screwed. Left to their own devices, they're screwed. Yeah. Most of the time, I would say. Yeah. So that's where all this started. I always had that in my head. So I was in this, you know, corporate environment. I'm like, you know what? One day I'm going to write a book or I'm going to do a podcast or I'm going to do something, a blog. I'm going to write about this. But that was kind of the gist of it. The gist of it was just I wanted to show the general public that this is how it works. They're asset gatherers. They're not financial advisors. Right. And we're just trying to get your money into portfolio. They're not doing anything wrong by you. They're not like fucking you over. Right. But there's not much to it. Once they got you, they're just trying to get more clients to come in. Yeah. It's just kind of like exposing the behind the scenes is what your original vision, I think, was. Yeah, because I think the mentality of uh, average client is that I'm sitting behind a computer looking at their portfolio and analyzing it and putting it through spreadsheets and all kinds of filters and just figuring out, you're not doing any of that. Like it's no. once a year, twice a year, they're looking over the portfolio. That, yeah. So <laughs> fast forward, we both get fired essentially from this job. We get pushed out. Oh my gosh. Because like they're doing away with our whole department. So we're both me and this friends are forced to get out. And now we go independent. We basically bring over our clients the rest is history, right? I've been doing it independent over eight years. So is he. 
it's been great. You know, we both work from home for the most part and it's very kind of remote. One of the things where it's like, it seems horrible in the moment, but it was the best thing that happened to you. Yeah, but I needed the kick out of the nest. <laughs> I don't think I, we always joke about it because I still speak with this friends that, you know, eight years later, if they never kicked us out, we'd probably still be there complaining about yeah, having coffee. Yeah, having coffee. about the exactly. <laughs> yeah. bullshit corporate. Grumpy yeah. old man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Damn corporation. Yeah. So 45 episodes later, yeah. I come to realize that it had nothing to do with any of that. It had to do with the fear and that anger. It had to do with what was behind it. It had nothing to do with the actual concept. Mm-hmm. So I start to realize that a lot of the world works that way. A lot of corporations work that way. A lot of people have these feelings yeah. in different areas of their life. So I wanted to get more into what are the thought process behind why was I feeling those ways? Why was I so conflicted in those moments? And then I kind of realized that it's all this unlearning of things. Mm -hmm. I was angry because I felt like people were trying to pull one over on me or people I control over me. And like they use that control. Mm -hmm. I felt very compromised. I felt very slighted by the industry. Every quarter they would come out with a new compensation plan and always you have to produce more to get the same or produce the same to get less. Yeah. And it was just like, I never felt like they were out for my best interests. Right. And I'm like, well, why am I working for them? Like, that doesn't make sense. It's like being in a bad relationship where like, you know, your spouse beats you. I'm like, the corporation's just like slapping me. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, I'll take another, you know? I mean, yeah, I don't, <laughs> yeah, it kind of, you know, and, all right. So well. it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but <laughs> so I got into this whole idea of the unlearning projects. So it's unlearning yeah. all of this shit. Yeah, because along the way, you're also maturing into your career, having a family, experiencing lots of personal growth. Yes. Your life and your perspective is changing. So then you start to evaluate, you know, even in these feelings with this job, when you sit down and have coffee with this buddy and you're grumping about it. Yeah. I mean, it's about like, well, what are my beliefs? Like, why am I conflicted? What did I think this was going to be versus what I've discovered it is? So I think that's where you started to go toward the beliefs and biases and evaluating the angles of personal growth. Because when you look back over all the episodes for the show, that's the primary subject or communication that that mm-hmm. it's been about. I want to share a story with you. I got, I got to put out some of these stories because they're too funny not to share. Okay. <laughs> Like the points of anger that I got to in corporate America, I don't think I've ever rivaled ever since. The points of like discontent and just like pure venom that was in me. (laughs) All right. So one in particular, which the same friends, we both got kind of fired together at the same time that we griped together every morning at coffee. So we had a meeting with our boss, right? Okay. So there was these things called termination meetings. Termination meetings are when... A company goes bankrupt or a company just for whatever reason lays off a whole department. There's a bunch of people that have 401ks that need to have them rolled over. Mm -hmm. Being in the institution that's handling that 401k, we were the advisors that would roll that money over, right? Okay. So it was like shooting fish in a barrel. Now you have a whole thousand employees that are laid off. They all have to move their money somewhere. Hey, move it to me. I'm a financial advisor. I get paid commission to manage manage this money for you. Right. To put it into your conservative, moderate, or aggressive portfolio. So I'm sitting down with my boss. Me and my friend basically are sitting across from her. 
And I'm griping to her that we're not getting these termination meetings, that she's giving the termination meetings to other advisors in my office. And a lot of them are getting multiple and we've got zero. Oh. Right? Okay. And at this point, I'm like losing my minds. Okay. So I start telling her, I'm like, I just want you to realize that, you know, my last name is this, this last, all our last names end with a vowel. Okay. So the five people that last names end with a vowel are not getting termination meetings. I'm like, are you prejudiced against Italians? <laughs> I swear to God, I think my friends like looked at me and he was like, just his mouth just dropped. Like I literally said this to my boss. I was just <laughs> losing my mind. It yeah. was the truth. I didn't Because believe you feel like there's this missed opportunity that you've been cut out of. Exactly. It'd just be fair. Yeah. Like, obviously life's not fair, right? But at that point- it, You would think like, okay, go down the list. You know, every time there's a termination meeting, hand it to a different advisor, you know, take turns, you would think. Well, thank you, Virginia. This is right. Common sense, you would think. Yeah, but it's <laughs> See, not. I would be such a fair boss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there was favoritism and it drove me crazy. So I had that ah. kind of issue with that boss. And and so from there, nothing changed. Now I wanted a meeting with her boss. So I went a step up, mm-hmm. right? So I go to step up. I get that meeting maybe two weeks later. I sit in a tiny, tiny conference room, literally like a four-person conference room, tiny. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting with her boss, who's this older, like, Southern lady, right? She's got to be, like, in her late 60s, right? I'm telling her that, I'm like, listen, I'm like, I'm tired of this place. I want to go independent within the institution. And I want you to allow me to go independent. I'm going to move the clients I have right now, just go to the independent channel of the institution I'm in. And she's like, no, you can't do that. She's like, you know, you either have to stay where you're at and just take it you know, the way we're giving it to you, or you leave the firm. Huh. And I'm, I'm like, wait a second. Like, you'd rather me leave the firm. I'm going to take my clients with me. Right. You'd rather me do that than actually stay here and just stay internal within the firm. Right. Because I just want to move channels. Like, I want to get out of this yeah. fucked up situation. There were other people that were in the like, independent section, right? So it's like, how did they get there? Yes. There's a whole different division within the company. Exactly. And then she starts going on this tirade of like, she's like, you know, my grandson works for Merrill Lynch and he, you know, he's the, out there every day dialing for dollars. And that's what you have to do too. You have to get out there and just dial for dollars if you want to go independent. Yeah. And I swear to God, I think, <laughs> I, I think smoke came out of my ears. I really do. And then she was like, she flagged like her assistants, like through the window and the assistant came in. She's like, you got another meeting right now. Oh my God. Yeah. I'd have been pissed. And then she left. She gave me no more than three minutes yeah. and she left. They don't care about you. That was the final straw. I was like, that's it. I'm like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. They don't care. Like, they totally didn't care. They're like, did did you get any new clients, you know, today, this week? Yeah. Where are they at? (laughs) Yeah. And and the funny thing, this is all before they did away with our entire, the whole division's gone anyway. Oh, my gosh. Like, they could easily let me just, yeah. uh, I Honestly, Virginia, just talking about this gets me like (laughs) crazy. It's been eight years. Deep breaths, Deep breaths. All right. Deep breaths. Ah, like the frustration and like just, uh, you know, yeah, like to get out of there and be independent was like the biggest miracle and greatest blessing. Definitely. Yeah. I was just so disillusioned by like the whole freaking, just the whole industry. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are when they're in a job where they feel like the corporation is just a machine. Yeah. They just feel like a cog and 
they don't feel like they matter. And I think anybody would feel and can identify with the meetings that you're talking about and the feelings that you're sharing. I think we've all been there. Yeah. And you know, management doesn't like when you push, right? They just push you right back. They're going to put you in your place. They don't want you to be like the lone wolf. Right. Like, nope, get back with the herd. Yeah. Even if your idea was great and it would benefit the company, they don't like it because you stepped out of line and spoke up and- Whew. Yeah, man, that wasn't for me. Yeah, that just wasn't for me. I mean, it allowed me again to have the business I have now from the clientele I had. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to share that story. I probably have a million others, but that was one that stuck out as like extra funny, basically accusing my boss of being prejudiced against Italians. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's good. Well, and I could see where that would easily create, you know, the whole confessions of a financial advisor concept. And I'm going to pull back the curtain and I'm going to. Yeah. I'm going to expose all these corporate people that are just holding everybody down and like cracking the whip. And Right. So then you launched the show and you and Diane would get on and start talking. Then it started like morphing and taking a different shape. So let's talk about that. So I left corporate America eight years ago and last year, so which makes seven years after I left corporate America, I decide to do the blog, do the podcast seven years later. It's kind of like after, it's an afterthought at this point. Yeah, but now I have have different things I want to talk about, but I still had in my head that I had to get that out too. Yeah. Again, 47 episodes later, I start to realize I could do one episode on that and just and this is probably it where I'm basically just saying this is my take on the financial advisory industry. Financial advisors won't like it. General public will probably think it's interesting or maybe we're not aware of it. Yeah. This is my interpretation of what it is. Again, I don't want to downplay if you have a good financial advisor and you're happy with them and you think they're valuable and important. Great. I am one. I think I'm valuable and important in a different way. I just struggled with the idea of being valuable in the way that I thought I should be. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I should be a therapist. I thought I should be a guy that made people money. Right. And it really wasn't that. Yeah. Your understanding of what you were getting into was different than what it really was. Yeah. So unlearning project. That's going to be the new podcast title. Yeah. Super exciting. Yeah. Unlearningproject.org. That's going to be the new website. Yeah. All the beliefs that that have been imposed on us with our upbringing, education, corporations, like we just said, society, it's just put on you. Mm -hmm. You have no choice in this world but to have like certain things put on you, especially when you're younger, like you're very impressionable. Right. I was, you know, and you feel a little bit, not helpless, helpless isn't the right word, but you feel... You don't have much control of your life. Like you grow into that with maturity. You start to realize I can make my own decisions. I don't need to let certain things affect me. Yeah. But as you're younger, things affect you more from my experience. Yeah. You don't control the family that you're born into. You know, back the family of origin episodes. You don't control that. Yeah. Where you were born. Right. The neighborhood you grew up in. No kid chooses the neighborhood. The points of views of your parents. I mean, look in the media right now. There's multiple instances of the father is supporting Trump and the kids are like, no, Biden. I mean, that's got to cause some family drama, you know, but we can't control 
the family that we're born into. And I saw like the, you know, one of the definitions of unlearning something is like breaking down the origins of thoughts, attitudes, behaviors, feelings, and biases, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to find what's, where did it all come from? Like, where are like all these things in my life playing out? They came from somewhere and I want to like trace back to where they came from. Yeah. I don't think that just understanding something makes it go away or heals you, but I think it helps in a, in a way that you can sort of wrap your head around, oh, all right, that makes sense. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Once you understand why you're doing what you're doing, you can accept it a little bit more, I think. Yeah. I think a lot of times we have certain behaviors and we're just like, I hate the behavior. Yeah. Why are you doing that? Stop doing that behavior and that behavior comes back. And whether it's overeating, smoking, yeah. drinking, I don't know, it's a million different things, right? Distraction, people have OCD, there's all different kinds of things that people yeah. do and they shame themselves and they beat themselves up and they feel guilty and they're judgmental of themselves. And the reason they are is because I think they don't know the origin of where it came from. So like when you look at like a little kid that was in like juvenile detention mm-hmm. and you look back and you, you see like the storyline, watch a documentary on something like this and you watch like they grew up and their father beat them and they did this and then they got in the fight. There's a whole long storyline that happened that led to that point. And I think until like you start tracing back your own storylines in all of these different contexts, it's really difficult to yeah. have any growth and have any progress in your life or to overcome and to heal those emotional wounds. Like you can't get through a lot of this stuff because you don't even know where it came from. So you just blame yourself for doing stupid things. Yeah. Well, and I think that's like a common theme that has already gone through all of the Confessions of a Financial Advisor episodes. So I think yeah. that was like the natural direction, even though that's not what you expected. Right. That's the natural direction of growth for you is starting to evaluate all of that. And even you've shared that with your therapist online, you guys will talk through something. And I think that's part of you growing into and maturing and just all of these personal growth challenges that you're facing and overcoming that's kind of like where the podcast has taken you so far. So I think, yeah, that theme has already been in it, but then I think now it's like you're wanting to switch the branding and the name and stuff like that to align more. Yeah. It's just the the idea of, we all have these strong emotions, right? All these emotions that go back to childhood that we just carry with us that just bother us. It's like everybody has you know, 40,000 thoughts a day. Like the sad part about it is that they're the same 40,000 thoughts that you had yesterday, like that kind of thing. Right. And a lot of these strong emotions erode your inner worlds, feelings of shame, guilt, judgment. So, I mean, I'm aware of it and I do it. So I know other people do it. And I've talked to friends, I've talked to everybody I talk to mm-hmm. has the same sorts of things. You can relive a traumatic experience. You could relive a slight, a small slight or a weird interaction you could replay it all day and have that emotional disturbance. I mean, for days, weeks, months, for like yeah. people do it for years. And so my objective in all of this was just to kind of like a self-therapy of just, I want to learn how this works. Because if there was an answer to it, if there was like this real concrete answer, then like we wouldn't be talking about this stuff. People have been talking about this stuff for ages. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get small clues and you get like, 
dark paths and corners that you go down and it's like one of these corn mazes that you're like walking through in the dark and you're just trying to figure it out. Yeah. And you know, these unconscious mental models that we have, they related to like that idea of like the fish in water, right? The fish doesn't realize it's in water. Mm-hmm. You ask a fish like, Hey, how does it feel like swimming around that water? And like, what water, you know, like you're just, you're in it. He's been in it his whole life. He doesn't know the difference. Yeah. I feel like it's the same way we are. And so it's so intriguing to me to go down those paths and be like, oh, oh, wait, that connects with, oh, okay, right. Yeah. It's Again, it's not a solution. It's, a, it's often just a, a recognition of like, got it. All right. So that's where that came from. That Oh, that connects with that. And that connects with that. Oh, and other people feel that way too? Yeah. Okay. And you were mentioning to me that out of all 47 podcasts, the one that was watched most was panic attacks. Yeah. Like, how crazy is that? It's so interesting to look back at the numbers. Panic attacks and divorce are your highest listened to episodes, which is funny because those are both like really strong, emotional, pivotal moments in a person's life. I mean, arguably the strongest out of any topic we've talked about. Oh, yeah. And of course, the two that are most popular are the ones that are most emotionally charged. Yeah. So I love that. So, I mean, that was really like the purpose of unlearning this. So for instance, for a panic attack is unlearning your reactions to anxiety. I mean, it's blatantly obvious with a panic attack Mm -hmm. that like something has malfunctioned internally. You've now been so overwhelmed with anxiety that you're out of control. Like your body is just literally having a giant eruption type of reaction. Yeah. That's something I want to dive into that. I want to figure out why, where did that come from? And I've done this, but you can continue to do it. There's so many layers to this. I mean, it's like, it's like an onion. You can trace it back. It's that continuous self-discovery and evaluation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when you think you're over something, and we talked about this with forgiveness. Yeah. Did I really forgive them? You know, like I say that I forgave them, but maybe I didn't really forgive them. Am I over anxiety? Are you ever over anxiety? No, maybe you just learn to cope. You have coping mechanisms. You just learn how to deal with it. You learn how to reframe it too, like reframing. Yeah. Reframing is big. Anxiety is almost the identical reaction to being excited. So excited and anxiety or excited and panic. Being on a roller coaster as a kid where your heart's pounding you pay to do that, right? You pay to go on a roller coaster. You pay money. Yeah, yeah you put yourself in that situation on purpose. Same situation. <laughs> you're having a panic attack. Your heart's pounding. Your palms are sweating. Believe me, you don't think you're excited in that moment. Right. You think it's the polar opposite. You're scared out of your mind. Yeah, it goes from exhilarating to sheer terror. Yeah. And then divorce, on the other hand, is like one of those things that... Anytime I talk to married people about divorce, like it just feels weird because when I was married, people would tell me that they were getting divorced or were divorced made zero sense to me. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I remember my next door neighbor when I was married, wasn't great friends with them. It was like one of those guys that, you know, I saw when he was like taking out the garbage and mowing his lawn, you'd have like a short conversation. Yeah. And I remember just one day he came up to me we got talking small talk. He's like, yeah, you know, me and so-and-so are getting divorced. I was like, oh, all right. I guess, you know, and in my mind, it was just like, ah, all right, well, I guess it just didn't work yeah. out. It was sort of like, just like a high school breakup. Or right. just, you know, I had this girlfriend. I have, the, I didn't get the gravity of it. 
until you'd been through it, then you didn't understand the. I mean, not even close. Size of the situation. Yeah, because yeah, he had kids. Like I didn't. Again, again, I didn't have kids at that point. Yeah. I just remember thinking in my mind, like, no big deal, whatever. Hmm. Just move on. You'll date other people, and like it just wasn't a big deal. Right. Well, you think about somebody like whose dog dies, and you're like, you feel, oh, I'm sorry, your dog died. You know, that's <laughs> terrible. And then it happens to you, and you have to do it, and you have to make the decision. You're like, holy shit, I didn't realize like yeah. how intense. Right. And for months afterwards, how that moment comes back to you, and you just get all emotional again. And yeah, same with all these big, like life changing situations. And it feels so good to know that other people have experienced these things when you're going through it. Yeah. And to talk to people that genuinely like understands, I mean, kind of like the idea of somebody is a heroin addict, not going to talk to somebody that never had an addiction before and take advice on addiction from that person. They don't understand what it's like to have that type of addiction. Right. right? Or. Well, and because a lot of times if it's something like that, there's probably judgment there. Judgment too, right? Not only is it no understanding, now it's like there's also this hierarchy of, yeah, you know, I'm better than you, you're a weak person, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think a lot of this process that I want to go through is so painful and uncomfortable and like kind of heartbreaking in a lot of ways. But I think it's essential. Like you, you have to mm-hmm. you kind of do that. If you, don't, if you don't do this, then you're just living like an unexamined life. You live in a life that is probably full of distraction. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to live a life like that. I don't want to live a life where I'm not thinking about what I'm doing, where I'm bounced around by circumstance, where I'm reacting to the world and then feeling bad about it and not knowing why I'm behaving certain ways. And it's kind of like just having like an out of control life. In my mind, like you're just out of control. You don't know what's going on. You don't know how you're going to react. You're just, you have no control of your internal experience. Yeah. So the unlearning project, it's breaking down all the things that have been programmed into us and just trying to figure out how do we, maybe not so much get rid of it, but how do we recognize it and how do we understand what it is and recognize what it's done for us, how to live with it, how to put it into some sort of context in our life. And to realize that when those thoughts come up of these things, divorce, panic attack, all yeah. Yeah, they were big things when you were going through them, but they're things you could also kind of work through, get past. You know, they never really go away. It's like, again, it goes back to the forgiveness thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can forgive somebody, but you don't have to reconcile. You know, you can forgive somebody, but you don't have to forget. You're never going to really forget what happens, but you can kind of get past it. Right. So I think that's been kind of cool to see you grow through the past 40 something episodes. Mm. You've gotten a chance to talk through a lot of this stuff, but there's always more on these subjects to unpack and uncover. And so I think it's exciting for listeners to know that they're going to still get what they've come to expect from the show, but that it's just rebranded and it's just might have new cover art or a new name, but yeah, it's going to be more in alignment with what you actually like to talk about. And it's no longer this financial advisor uncovering the truth kind of a thing. Yeah, which I think on the surface, that title just conveyed yeah. kind of looking at the Wizard of Oz, looking at, you know, behind the curtain of the wizard. Yeah. But I think that's exciting. You know, it's like you got to grow. You know, there's times in life we have to pivot. 
you have to change careers. You have to get hired and start your home business or whatever it is. I think that's part of believing in yourself. Yeah. And not, I mean, I don't, I'm not somebody that has like a PhD in any kind of, you know, science or philosophy, but I've listened to so many books Mm-hmm. And I've plowed through over the last eight years, probably every self-help book imaginable, um, self-improvement philosophy. Mm-hmm. And you start to find the patterns in all of them because a lot of them say, are saying the same things, but there's no one direct solution. Because I remember you, you once asked me a question, be like, can you give us a concrete you know, way to like go through? Yeah. And I'm always looking for that answer. But it's like you get these little nuggets, right? Then you start piecing them together and you kind of create sort of your own path. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of what I want to do with everything I've listened to, everything I've compiled in my head. It's like I have all this information. Sometimes it's like goes on overload. You're just inputting mm-hmm. so much. You know, I'm at a point where I just want to sort of decipher all of that stuff. Yeah. Need some verbal processing. <laughs> yes. Verbal processing. Yeah. Find out what like the, the common traits of all. Because again, I think any of the good, really, really good books that I remember they just have a common kind of like theme, mm-hmm. you know, they're not common answers. They're not saying the same exact things, but mm-hmm. they're all kind of going the same way. And I've mentioned before too, that big fan of the concept of Buddhism and the whole idea of Buddhism is unlearning, yeah. right? So unlearning is the premise of Buddhism. So Buddhism is basically saying that, you know, you're a person that's created perfect. You're the blue sky. And then you come into this world and all the downloading from, you know, the people in your life, your education, your upbringing, society, all of that stuff is like the clouds. And they're all like just picking away at you and just putting shit into your brain. And then the Buddhist philosophy is just your job is just to literally just move the clouds away and just realize that you're behind that and everything's good behind that. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff is just surfacey thoughts and emotions and turbulence, but it's not you. Like you're behind that. Right. I always loved that concept. And that's what all the great books in like self-help, self-improvement, philosophy, they all talk about that kind of idea, but just in different ways. Mm. So I think this will be a cool thing to dig into. Yeah. And I think the rebrand will be very much so in alignment. All right, everyone. So I guess we'll see you next time at the Unlearning Projects. Man, <laughs> saying like <laughs> confessions of a financial advisor yeah. so long. Yeah. The Unlearning Project. You'll be able to follow us. Mm -hmm. unlearningproject.org yeah we look forward to seeing you next time by the way just so the listeners know yeah this episode is airing the first week of november we're gonna take a little break and allow time for rebranding and new cover art and all of the exciting stuff that comes with rebranding the show yes. and then our first new episode to unlearning project will air november 30th yes and please share any comments any subject matter you want us to discuss can't promise we will but we're always open to new ideas yeah. and you know something might strike a chord and we'll definitely give you credit for it <laughs> yeah well thanks virginia thank you see you next time all right we'll see you next time